Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, hello there, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. Welcome to another great interview. I have an amazing guest today, Carl Allen, and I'm going to introduce him to you right now and bring him right on. Carl is an entrepreneur, an investor, a corporate deal maker who has worked on transactions worth over $50 billion with a B dollars, which includes over 250 acquisitions and sales together with more than 100 capital fundraising projects in a 24-year career, big and small, in 17 different countries and across nearly every business sector, including technology, pharmaceuticals, transport and logistics, engineering, manufacturing, aerospace, consumer goods and services, business services, retail, professional finance, packaging, and corporate clothing. I mentioned them all just so you wouldn't doubt me on that. Carl has a solid reputation as an investor and corporate dealmaker, having worked for Bank of America, Hewlett-Packard, Forrester, and Gartner. He has advised some of the world's largest corporations on investments, acquisitions, disposals, and restructuring. Carl has also assisted hundreds of business owners in raising both equity and debt finance. Carl walks the talk, folks, having acquired and sold numerous businesses for himself. He is one of the world's premier experts on buying and financing small business acquisitions and coaches more than 700 entrepreneurs all over the world to buy small businesses rather than starting new ones. And now you know why I'm so excited to, to meet Carl. Carl, how are you doing today? Hey, Jim, thank you very much indeed. Doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me on board. Uh, it's my pleasure. So I'm actually on the water. I live on the water, and you're across the pond, as they say, over in the UK. I, I am. I'm in, um, I live in the middle of the countryside in uh, Lancashire, which is about 200 miles north of London. That's where I am right now. Well, I only hold 580 gallons of fuel, so I still have to fly over. My boat's not that big. <laughs> and I, I, I always like to at least see the shoreline three to four miles out. That's my limit. That's my comfort zone. But it's really great to talk to you, man. You've had such a, such a, a diverse career with all the different. I mean, it's one thing to be a special, a specialist, and then you kind of specialize in certain industries. But as I, as I went down that whole laundry list of industries you've been in, each one of those I would think presents a different challenge. So. I'm trying to think of where I want to start with you. There's so much I want to ask you, but let me go back to the basics. Did, when you decided to become an entrepreneur, um, had you had any uh, anybody influence you, parents, grandparents, or are you the first one in your family with the entrepreneurial gene? I, I am, actually. And <clears throat> the reason I started doing what I do now, um, kind of something happened to me just over 10 years ago. So I, I started my career uh, in 1992. I worked on Wall Street. Bank of America, and I worked in private equity as well, and I, I'd been buying and selling businesses for, for Hewlett-Packard. So I've been flying all over the world, doing the hard yards, doing all these deals, and, and I honestly thought I was going to spend the rest of my career, you know, as an investment banker, as a large corporate deal maker. And um, what one thing happened to me is my, my wife and I were having a baby, uh, Josh, and 
she was 37 weeks pregnant and I went to Moscow with HP to do a deal. Um, we were advised by the doctors, you can still travel, the little guy's not going to be out for another two to three weeks. So I'm in Moscow, I'm in the boardroom of HP, I'm negotiating the final terms on this deal. We were buying a big uh, printing company in Moscow for HP and I got the call. Um, my wife had gone into labor. So literally, I had my phone and I had my wallet and my passport with me. I ran out of the boardroom, I found the nearest cab, I bolted it to the airport, um, I took the first flight home, I had a police escort from the airport in the UK to the hospital, and I literally ran up the stairs, I ran into the delivery ward about two minutes before my son came out. Wow. And it's unbelievable. So. I, I'm sat there with my little guy in my arms. You know, he was my, my little Josh. He, he's just turned 10 in February. And I'm sat there thinking, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I can't be flying all over the world doing these deals. I need to um, I need to find something else to do. So um, I thought, I'm going to take a year off. So I, I left HP and I thought, I'm going to take a year off. And um, I lasted about three weeks. I got really, really bored and sick of checking my <laughs> And I sat down with my wife and, and she said, you know, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I've got two major problems. The first one is I only have one skill. It's buying and selling businesses and financing businesses. I know that stuff inside out, back to front. The other problem is I don't want to have a boss anymore. I don't want to be called in the middle of the night saying, hey, you've got to go to Russia. You've got to go to Palo Alto. You've got to go to Sydney, Australia. I, I, I wanted to be the boss. And I didn't want to start a business because according to Michael Gerber, I think it is 96% of small businesses, startups fail yeah. um, over 10 years. So I thought, well, I know how to buy and sell businesses. I'm just going to learn how to buy and sell small businesses. So the challenge I had, though, at the time, this was 10 years ago, was um, I didn't know how to operate any of these businesses. I was still making. I could raise money. I could buy, negotiate. I could sell. But I didn't know how to run these businesses. So I decided from the start that um, I was going to work with people that knew those industries. So when I do deals, and I'm still buying and selling businesses all the time, I'm about to buy a radio business in LA, and I'm going there in a couple of weeks to close that deal. Uh, I just find somebody either in the business or somebody that I can reach through my network that can go in and run that business for me, and I'll give them 20, 25% of the equity. Because the way I do my deals, the way I structure my deals, um, I don't spend any of my own personal capital. That's awesome. You know, Carl, I actually, I forget the number, I think this is interview number 297 for my podcast, and, oh, and none of them have started out that, that strong. I mean, what a story. What I like about that is you did, you know, by the fact that you got in there for it within two minutes, but you didn't hesitate one iota about where you knew you needed to be, even though you're in this big boardroom doing the deal, and you knew exactly what your priorities were. There's so many cool things I, I like about that story. So, um, so you so you started your business, and what year did you do that, Carl? So I, I started up in 2008. Um, so I remember my first deal. I bought a transport company. Um, I'd actually been hired by the owners to sell the business. Um, and I managed to get them a really high offer for the business. And the day before the deal was about to close, the, the buyer, which was a big competitor, 
came into the office and gave us a list of all the people that they were going to let go, all the employees they were going to fire. And the owners turned around to me and said, we can't do this deal. We can't retire knowing that our employees, our loyal employees that have worked for us all these years are going to be put in harm's way. So I turned around and said, well, I'll buy your business, but I'm not going to offer you anywhere near that kind of money. Let's finance the balance sheet to give you a closing payment, and then I'll pay you the rest of the money over time using the profits from the business. So they said, great, let's do it. So we did that deal. I put their number two in charge. I owned that business for about three years before I sold it, made a good profit. And then that became the methodology that I started to use on all deals. And what was great is I found very quickly that it worked in all sectors. And what's really interesting now, you know, fast forward 10 years, is the market's becoming more and more buoyant. There's a lot more businesses for sale now than there were 10 years ago. There's over 2 million businesses for sale just in the USA, about half a million in the UK, a couple of hundred thousand in Canada. And it's the baby boomer factor. So all the business owners that started their businesses you know, in the 60s and the 70s, they're all now looking to retire. And there's just not enough people that are qualified to go and buy their businesses for them. And, and another major trend that's occurred over the last 10 years, I would say, Jim, is that it was traditional for, you know, if a guy owned a Midwestern manufacturing company, say five million in revenues, he'd hand it down to his son or daughter. But now those people, they want to go to college. They want to be doctors and bankers and lawyers and consultants. They don't want to take over the family business. So you, you have an owner that wants to retire and he doesn't necessarily want to sell to a competitor who might strip it down, relocate it, get rid of all the employees. Um, he wants a trusted, safe pair of hands so he can come in and whilst paying some money potentially, um, you know, they're really going to cheer you on from the sidelines. So that's become my model. And I've been doing those deals. I've done about 75 of them since 2008. I still own 17 different businesses. But then about two and a half years ago, um, I just started to get inundated from people saying, hey, you know, you've got to, you've got to teach this stuff. You've got to coach people you know, how to do this. Um, so I launched my, my coaching company. Um, and as of today, uh, I think we're about 900 people now um, that are in our various mix of, of online and offline programs where we're, we're coaching people to find deals, to structure deals, no cash down with sellers, and then also just as important, you know, what to do with the business once you own it, you know, how to quickly uh, accelerate the growth, how to make the business more profitable, and how to kind of groom it and optimize it so that when when the buyer is ready, they can easily find a seller. Sorry, when the seller is ready, they can easily find a buyer, and you know, extract really, really good terms. You know, I think when a when a when a business owner is ready to sell out, go retire, or whatever they want to do, um, they probably have a lot of things that they'd like to see accomplished in addition to getting a nice payout. And you mentioned one of them. I, I think owners, by and large, would probably uh, have some concern for, for long time and loyal staff. You know, they probably, yeah. um, <clears throat> they'd like to, as you say, it's their baby, so they'd like to stay involved in some capacity 
to make sure it runs. But I used to be in the franchise business, and part of the way we grew was buying uh, company stores. And I was familiar with that whole model. And you know, back in my 30s, I admired I admired that. And um, but then I saw it literally. I never saw one deal where the owner wanted to stay involved, where it didn't go south inside of about 30 days, <laughs> because you know there's a new sheriff in town, and somebody's going to make a decision that the old owner might not agree with. Now he may voice his opinion as the person who started the business and who took it to where it was but ultimately he doesn't get the say so anymore and it becomes this source of friction do you do you find that as well have you ever stayed in touch or do people want to want to be involved former owners or they, they do actually so so it, it's a point of principle for me in that when i do a deal i will never uh i i don't want the owner sticking around more than say a 30-day handover period mm-hmm. uh, what I normally do the perfect deal for me is where I buy a business where there's a great number two that's been you know living in the shadow of the owner and once the owner's gone they can step up and they can run the business you know for me and um, what I've seen though with some of my students is it, fascinating um, I've seen a lot of deals happen where owners um, wanted to sell their business, but they wanted to stay in the business and operate it. They didn't want the responsibility of the financing, of the marketing, of, of, of the operation. They, they, they just wanted the job of, of running the business. So quite a number of my students um, have done deals where, you know, so one gentleman, Tyrone Cole, he lives in LA. He bought a manufacturing business in New Jersey. And the the owner stayed. So the the owner's running the business, reporting to Tyrone. Nothing's changed for the employees, the customers. The the, the brand's still the same. The legacy's still the same. Um, but he's now earning a salary, um, and he's not the owner of the business, and he's happy with it. Sometimes that works. Obviously, uh, as you said, sometimes you know, sometimes that doesn't. I'm buying. Um, I'm buying a radio business in LA at the moment, and the owner wants to stay. Um, but I think that's going to be going to be trouble. So um, we're we're going to be um, you know we're, we're going to be making some changes around that. Yeah, I was, was kind of related, but maybe a slightly different path. But I was on uh, before I moved on the boat. I was on this board of directors for this nonprofit. And I happened to be on, I was on three terms during the transition of the executive director who started the company 25 years ago or the foundation. And they were looking for some, but the the board members by and large were older kind of corporate types. I was the only entrepreneur in the bunch, um, but they liked my marketing skills and things like that. But it came down to it, these just these hour-long discussions which are so painful to me because I could I, I once I could build a business in the time we take to decide a $10 expense but Carl one of the things they were looking for was they wanted to find an owner just like Jim we want to keep this going I said why would you do that well first of all there's the legacy but somebody could come in with a whole different set of cir- circumstances and skills and they could maybe even double the size we'd be able to help even more oh you know poor people and i said we we shouldn't pigeonhole the new owner the new ex- or excuse me the new executive director into this mold just because i mean you know what i mean and and they actually they actually listened to me and they and and uh, the the current or excuse me the former now executive director said yeah i will make myself available but i will not be coming in there unless i'm asked to do so you've got to give the guy his space absolutely yeah absolutely you're completely right so um, when you're selling a business, like what's the main criteria that um, potential owners are looking for? So 
One of the biggest challenges that I see in, in the marketplace, and you know, I, I, I probably buy only one in a hundred businesses that I look at. Um, and one of the major reasons for that is most small businesses that I see, the owner and the business are one and the same. And what I mean by that is if the owner was to step out of the business for any reason, the business wouldn't work. So all the processes are in their mind, all the customer relationships are with them. They don't have processes and systems and a, and a, a small management team that, that can run the business day to day. So that's the biggest criteria that buyers look for. They want to see that if the owner isn't in charge of the business, can it still function? Um, what I also see with a lot of small businesses that I look at, and this is a great thing for me, is a lot of them don't really have any sophisticated marketing. You know, especially traditional businesses like engineering or manufacturing or, or transportation. You know, they're not leveraging social media. They're not leveraging online marketing. Uh, they don't have lots of decent partnerships. They're surviving on kind of word of mouth and repeat customers. So. When, when my when my entrepreneur students go in and take over these businesses and they inject a lot of the new world marketing that I teach them, you know, we, we, we can double, if not triple, the size of those businesses within a 12-month period. So those are the two kind of criteria that, that I certainly look for as a, as a buyer and any buyer would, is, is that is there some quick upside in scale that we can take the business forward with a lot of new thinking? And then secondly, will the business work if the seller's not there? Um, if the answer to those two questions are no, I don't do the deal. Right. So, Carr, we know, I mean, just, and most of the people listening know that people buy uh, emotionally, not always on, on logic, because why would somebody buy an airplane if that wasn't true, right? Or a boat. Yeah. But um, is it the same thing when you're, um, when you're looking, when someone's looking to buy a small business, are they... Do you think they're more use on based on psychology or numbers? Like, is it logic or emotion, even at that level? That's a really good question. So I'm going to ask that in two parts. You know, what what I would say is back in my Wall Street days and my HP days, those hundred million and billion dollar deals that I used to do, they were ninety percent numbers, ten percent psychology. When you're doing a small deal, so you're buying a business with five million dollars in revenues and less then it's the opposite. It's 90% psychology and it's 10% numbers. You could have two identical businesses. Um, one's owned by a 30-year-old entrepreneur. One's owned by a 59-year-old retiring baby boomer. The, the cost to buy that business and the structure of that deal will be massively, massively different. The entrepreneur, he's going to be having a lot of fun. He's going to want most of his money up front and he's happy to wait for a big price, whereas the retiring baby boomer, he's more concerned about somebody taking over the legacy of the business, protecting the staff, the employees, keeping the name above the door, name above the business. So psychology comes into play in a massive way. And as a buyer, what I, the way I coach my students is I coach them to buy a business that satisfies three main criteria. So the first one is because there's so many businesses for sale, the, my first piece of advice is buy a business in a sector that you know. So if you've spent your entire life working in tech, so let's say you're a senior sales manager at IBM, um, you wouldn't want to go and buy a chemical company. 
you know, you go and buy a business in technology because, you know, you know that sector. And, you know, buying the business is actually easier than, you know, operating that business going forward. So you really want to know the space and know the market that you're in. The second thing I always say is buy something that you're passionate about because, you know, something that's going to get you up every day out of bed and, and want to go in and want to grow that business. You know, if you have no passion for a particular sector, then, you know, I wouldn't advise buying a business in it because that just doesn't make sense. You know, figure out what you really love to do and, and, and do that. And then the third thing I always suggest is, you know, leverage your network. You know, most deals that are done, most businesses that are for sale aren't often listed. So anybody can go to a broker site and download particular deals. The easiest deals to do are the ones where you can leverage your network, whether it's professional advisors, financiers, you know, customers that you know, just people in business generally, you know, even people at the country club or the golf club. Um, you know, start networking and, and kind of asking around, you know, who who's for sale, who's you know, potentially going to entertain a sensible deal. You know, that's where I get the vast majority of my deals from. And that's a big thing that I, that I teach inside of my coaching program. That's awesome. How does someone, have, <clears throat> excuse me, how does someone go evaluate, how do they start to evaluate whether a business is worth buying? You know, because as a small business owner, and I, I, you're so much more the expert than I am, but I have a little knowledge of this area. And I know when you're a, a small business owner, there are certain things you might be able to do with your books to lessen your taxes and your profit and stuff. But then there comes to be a point where you actually want to show really what the business has done. So is it like a three or five year? I mean, you should probably start at least three years earlier producing. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm a straight shooter, but what, what you would say a completely clean set of books. Do you know what I mean, Carl? Yeah, so you know, you you would assume that will be the case, but but it's not. I would say ninety five out of every hundred businesses I look at, they they don't do any planning in that regard. So they don't have their CPA rework their numbers. And and you're you're quite right. Most businesses, small businesses, especially in the US and the UK, um, their income statements are run for tax mitigation, and that's completely fine. Um, so what, what we can do though is, you know, when we look at an income statement, you know, there's obviously tools and templates inside of my, my program that does all this for you, but, but what, I, what I show people how to do is how to calculate really what is the recurring profitability that's coming through that business. So if the owner was to leave and um, all of the costs that they put through that probably shouldn't, you know, when you take all those out, you know, what's, what's that recurring cash flow that's coming through that business? And then we're typically buying on a multiple of that, anywhere between two and four and a half times, depending on the sector, the size, and, and a whole bunch of other different criteria. But what's really interesting is the valuation of a business is not what's most important. What's most important is the structure of the deal. So it's all about, you know, if the seller wants a closing payment, most of them do. Some of them don't, but most of them do. If the seller wants a closing payment, does the business have the necessary assets on the balance sheet that we can get the business to finance itself so that the owner can take that closing payment? And then are the cash flows there over a, a period of years so we can pay the seller some additional monies. So that is actually more important. The structure of the deal is more important than its actual value. You know, you, you could look, you know, I could look at a deal where the owner says, look, you know, I want half a million dollars for my business. 
uh, and I want it all at closing, and there's no assets in the business, so I wouldn't do that deal, versus another seller that says, you know, I want $2 million for my business, but we, we can finance a million dollars down from the asset base, and he's happy to take the other million over, say, 10 years at 100000 a year, just to give him an income. Um, you know, I would more, I'd rather do the second deal, even though it's four times more valuable than the first deal. It's all about the structure of the deal and then just making sure that the business, as you trade it, can generate the cash flows to service the financing. Wow. We're down to three or four minutes, but I really want to squeeze in one more question if we could. Why do you think some business partnerships, Carl, thrive while others just disintegrate, even with the best of intentions at the beginning of the relationship? Yeah, so when you talk about partnerships, I think a lot of it comes down to culture and fit. Um, so whether you leverage things like Myers-Briggs or some of the other psychometric uh, profiling, you know, I don't go into business with anybody until I've assessed you know, what's the psychological and cultural fit between me and them. Um, what I see is a lot of people jump into partnerships without any real rational thinking. They have to sign big, complicated legal agreements. You know, my advice would be either do some psychometric evaluation of how people are going to work together or more simpler just have a trial period you know just just work three months together to see how things go and then if everything's great if you can work together if you can get on then um, you know by all means formalize that legally very cool Carl I, I could talk to you for another hour <laughs> easily I love this business stuff what's so if somebody wants to um, learn more about buying and selling businesses investing and things like that how can they connect with you yeah so one of the things I've done um, is I put together a free um, 90 minute masterclass training which shows people exactly how to do what I do so it's a, it's a 90 minute webinar uh, there's loads of tools and downloads that people can use and they can go off and they can start um, doing deals, and the uh, I'll, I'll give you the link for that. It's, uh, it's bit.ly forward slash ninja hyphen free. Let me make sure I get that. Bit.ly forward slash ninja hyphen free. Yep. Got it. I'll make sure I put that in the uh, notes there, and we'll put that out. Carl, it's been a lot of fun connecting with you. Thank you so much for being on the program. No problem, Jim. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Carl Allen, and uh, I predict I'll have him on again in the future because we got a lot of ground to cover. But, um, hey, connect with me at your at Build Your Dream Business Now Facebook group. That's my free group where I'm connecting. We're uh, about 400 small business owners right now. We're, we're helping each other, sharing, caring, and uh, lifting each other up. I do free training Thursdays. That's at Build Your Dream Business Now Facebook group. The handy link to get there is dreambizgroup.com, dreambizgroup.com. That is it for now. Come back this time next week for another great interview. Until then, this is Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. And as always, you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> 
See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.